Bishops of Northridge Church. <laughs> hope you guys are doing. Hope you guys are doing good today at all of our locations, and uh, it's exciting to be able to be here. Those of you that have been around a little while, actually about the last year or so, this is my third time being here now, and uh, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and. I'm really excited to be back. I love coming up here. Uh, it's nice. I know I've been hearing some of you guys talking about the heat wave that has hit Michigan, but uh, I want to tell you, I've been walking outside, and every time I walk outside, I throw my arms out, and it's amazing not to start sweating within 1.2 seconds of walking out the door. And uh, there's this little thing in Georgia called humidity, and it is the spawn of Satan. That's exactly what it is. And um, your, your 85 or 90 degrees feels a lot different than our 85 or 90 degrees. And as a result, it's always, always good to be here, whether it's in the summer now twice, and I came in the winter one time as well. And it's always, always a pleasure to come to Northridge. I told my assistant, I said, anytime Northridge or Pastor Brad calls, uh, clear the calendar, I'm coming. Uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. And so um, I want you to know, it's an honor to be able to stand here. You have an incredible man of God as your pastor, and I uh, love him and his family and this church and their staff. God's used y'all in an incredible way, and sometimes it's good to get an outside voice to be able to step in for just a moment and remind everybody uh, how good you have it here at Northridge. You really do. It's, it's a great place. And um, again, I'm, I'm very, very grateful to be here. How many of you, I do good with uh, crowd and audience participation. And how many of you would say that you have ever been to a high school reunion? Raise your hand. All campuses, that's good. Now, put your hands down. How many of you, uh, whenever I said that thought, man, I'm gonna look around and those are all the old people who have gone to a high school reunion, right? I used to think the same thing. And I remember when my parents went to their 20th, reunion, and I was, um, I don't remember how old I was, but I thought to myself, man, my mom and dad are old, and uh, now here I am, and it's time for our 20th reunion, and it's a little bit surreal to even think about, so I got this notification in my email inbox about the 20th high school reunion, and it's going to be this big to-do, you know, all that stuff, and so I was doing the research and trying to figure out where it was gonna be and trying to figure out all that stuff. And um, as a result, I don't know if you know this or not, but when you search for anything online, you probably know this, when you search for anything online, the algorithms and the internet gods, if you will, they know now everything about you. And as a result, they start targeting all these ads and all these different pop-ups will come up and these ads will, um, will show up on your computer that are applicable to your search. And so as a result, the last couple of weeks, I've been getting all kinds of these random ads that have to do with various things pertaining to this reunion. And one of the ads that came up, I'm not usually, I'm not usually sidetracked by ads. I'm sidetracked by everything else. I'm about as ADD, DD, DD, DD as you can get, but usually I do pretty good with ads. But there was one that came up and it caught my attention. I can't remember the name of it, but basically the tagline of it was, are you, are you more sophisticated than your car would portray? And I looked at it and I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what that means. And so I, I clicked on the ad and when I did, uh, it brought me to a company 
and I don't remember the name of the company, but we'll, we'll give it a name. I, I believe it was something, to, something similar to uh, Reunion Rentals. Now, here's how Reunion Rentals works. Now, those of you that are not note takers, don't start taking notes yet. You do not need to write down anything about Reunion Rentals. Trust me on this. You rent a car, but it's not any rental car. It's a car that's far superior than your current car and they personalize it so that it does not look like a rental car. So the ad was this kind of, um, it was kind of a goofy guy, and he was standing there with his hand on a Jaguar, you know, not, not like the cat, like the car, and he was standing there with his hand on a Jaguar, reunion rentals, when your, sophistication, when your sophistication level is not matched by the car you drive. And I um, started investigating a little bit. Have you ever went down that rabbit trail whenever you click on something and it leads you to internet Hades? <laughs> you know, uh, that's where I went. And um, I found out that not only can you rent cars at Reunion Rentals, it's a true story, you can rent people at Reunion Rentals. And I don't mean um, in like an illegal kind of shady way. Well, maybe I do mean in a shady way, but it's not illegal. You rent friends to bring to your reunion so that the people you went to school with will believe that you're doing better than you actually are. So if you are, uh, maybe you've gotten divorced or maybe you never got married, but you don't want anybody to know that, you can rent somebody from reunion rentals and you send them a questionnaire and they, you uh, fill it out and they fill it out so that you know each other very, very well so that if you get, in the, if you get stuck in a conversation, uh, it seems legit, reunion rentals. We take care of it all. And I, I, I was looking at it and I was just mesmerized. I just could not imagine, I couldn't imagine renting this personalized car so that people would think that I'm better than I am. And I definitely could not even imagine renting a friend. You know, rent a buddy, here we go. Reunion rentals, is gonna change our lives together. But as I started thinking about it a little bit more, I've told that story about 10 times over the course of the last three weeks. But as I thought about it more and more, I thought to myself, you know, maybe, maybe I haven't gone that far when it comes to overcompensating for the insecurities that exist in my life. But there's still a lot of insecurities that exist in my life. And some of you, I know uh, many of you, you have social networking, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever. Some of you that are, uh, maybe you're slow on the technology side, maybe you still have MySpace. Praise the Lord, MySpace, you got it. But I took a picture the other day of um, my seating arrangement in my office because I have all these chairs and different things. And, uh, but at times I'm kind of weird. I like to sit on the floor. And so I'll just put a pillow in the floor and I'll put my computer in front of the pillow. I'll prop up on my stomach on the, on the uh, floor, on the pillow, and I'll do my work right there, right there on the floor. And when I did, it was hilarious because I just thought, I wonder how many people do this. So I wanted to take a picture. And when I took the picture, I looked at it and I realized this picture is not good enough. It's not up to par. So I rearranged some stuff on the floor and I took another picture and I looked at it and I'm like, no, this picture, this picture does not encapsulate the wonder and the beauty 
of this floor and how amazing this seating arrangement is. And I realized that before it was all said and done, before I posted this picture, I had taken the picture about 27 times and then I found the perfect filter to make it look even better than it actually was. So if you go to Instagram and you find that picture on my feed, it actually looks far superior than what it actually looks like in real life because I spent so much much time trying to overcompensate for maybe what it is that my office lacked in curb appeal. Now, here's the truth. We do this in all areas of life, whether it's the pictures that we take and the things that we post because we post something online and we check back to make sure it has X amount of likes or X amount of shares or X amount of, you know, whatever. We're concerned about how many followers we have on all these different social networking sites. Maybe, maybe that's not you. Maybe you're like, no, that's for the young little whippersnappers. I don't do anything like that. Well, Maybe you find your identity instead, not in a picture that you take or an amount of followers that you have. Maybe you find your identity in your job and your ability to climb the ladder. Maybe that's where you find your identity. I don't, I don't fault you really, because we all, we all do it. Maybe it's in the house that you live in or the car that you drive. I know so many people that have bought houses they couldn't afford just because they wanted to impress people they really didn't even know And then years later, they're still stuck because they're house poor, trying to figure out ways to pay for this thing that they thought was gonna be such a blessing. I mean, maybe, maybe it's your grades, and you think that if you get a certain kind of grades, then God will love you more, and your parents will love you more, and sometimes it's not even a student thing. Sometimes we're hard on our kids' grades. We're hard on our kids because of their grades, and it's really not even because we want them to get good grades sometimes. Sometimes we just want to be able to sit down and have conversations with our friends. And when they're talking about their kids' accomplishments, we want to make sure that we have something to talk about as well. It's crazy what we do. This is, this is what insecurity does to people. It just causes us to overcompensate so that we can look better or appear better than we really are. We want to make sure that we portray our highlight reel and not necessarily the blooper video. You know what I'm talking about? And this isn't a new thing. I I hear people say sometimes, well, that's just something from the new generation, not necessarily from the older generation, But, but that's not true. I mean, this has been going on from the beginning of time. People have been overcompensating for insecurity for years. It's it's nothing new. Matter of fact, I'm gonna read you some verses from the Bible. I think I'm gonna read you four right off the bat, and then we'll see what happens from there. But there's this one particular disciple, uh, a follower, a disciple is just another word for follower of Jesus. And um, he's writing, uh, well, let me just read it to you instead of giving you some of the backstory. Check this out. John chapter 13, verse 23. One of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, you can, you can circle that, you can underline it if it's on your phone or iPad or whatever, you can highlight it or just make a mental note. One of his disciples the one whom Jesus loved was reclining next to him. John chapter 19, verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, the verse keeps going, but let's go to the next one. John chapter 20, verse two. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, when you read this, you can start to think, man, whoever wrote this is a pretty nice guy. 
I mean, to write this, such an affectionate term for one of the followers of Jesus that apparently Jesus just, he just loved this guy more than, more than anybody else. I mean, that's what it seems. This is the one that Jesus loved. Now look at John chapter 21, verse seven. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. I mean, time after time after time after time, I just gave you four examples. There are more. Four examples that I just read to you about this individual writing about a person, a follower of Jesus, that Jesus apparently just had an extraordinary amount of affection for, the one that Jesus loved. Now, if you look at all of those statements, the one that Jesus loved, they're all found in one book of the Bible, the Bible is a collection of 66 books, and there are 27 of those books in the New Testament, which is where John is found. Now, all of those accounts are found in John. This is not a trick question. Do you know who wrote the book of John? John. John wasn't being nice in writing about another disciple that Jesus loved. John was writing about himself. <laughs> it's as if I had a book in the Bible, like Jesus, he just, I petitioned Jesus and say, Jesus, I think we should have a book in the Bible called J.R. Lee, the J.R. Lee book. It's gonna be awesome. And then as I write the book of J.R., I write in there, the follower of Jesus that Jesus thought was the most awesome was reclining next to Jesus. The, the disciple that Jesus loved the most more than everybody else was hanging out with Jesus. Written by J.R. in the book of J.R. Now, when I read that, I thought to myself, why, why is it that this disciple wrote this? If you go in and you read anything about John, you find out anything about John, John didn't just write the book of John, this is, this is hilarious to me. He actually wrote five books in the New Testament. Four of them, you know what he named them? John. You got regular John, and then you got first John, second John, and third John. And then he has this one random one called Revelation, and I'm pretty sure he wanted to name it fourth John, but Jesus wouldn't let him. Why did John... Right, the one that Jesus loved about himself because he could have, if, it, if I had been John, I might have wrote. And John, I'd make sure I put my name in there. And John, the one that wrote five books in the Bible, was sitting next to Jesus. And John, the one who wrote five out of 27 is almost 20%. The one, and I would round it up. The, and John, the one who, read, who wrote 20% of the New Testament was hanging out with Jesus. That's, that's, maybe you wouldn't have done that. I, I would have. I'm, I'm not so insecure that I can't admit that to you right now in front of thousands of people. But here's the truth. I could not figure out why it is that Jesus wrote it and, or why it is that John wrote that. But then I began to think, could it be that maybe it was because he was arrogant? Was he arrogant? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, maybe he was, but I don't think that's why he wrote it. Was he overcompensating for something? Maybe he had some insecurity in his life and I'm sure he did. I mean, I think everybody has some insecurity in their life, but I don't think that's why he wrote it. I think the reason that John wrote 
that he was the one that Jesus loved was because the fact that he was loved by Jesus was his greatest source of his identity. I think that to John, the fact that he was loved by Jesus was even more important than his own name. Because when he wrote it, he never put, and John, the one that Jesus loved, he just put the one that Jesus loved. I think John was so consumed with the fact that he was loved by God, that to him, that was the most important thing about him. See, John no longer saw himself as a result of the fact that he was loved by Jesus. He no longer saw himself according to his failures. He no longer saw himself according to what he wished he had done. He no longer saw himself according to what it is that he should have done. He, he no longer saw himself according to what he wished he hadn't done. I mean, he never, he never saw himself according to his mistakes. He never saw himself according to his mess ups. That's not who John was anymore. The fact that he wrote the disciple that Jesus loved talking about himself, what it shows is he did not see himself according to what other people say about him. He saw himself according to what Jesus said about him. Now, what would happen? I mean, think about this. What would happen if every single one of us bought in to that truth? Because you need to know this. Every single person within the sound of my voice, whether you're at one of our campuses or you're watching online, this truth does not just apply to John, it also applies to you. You are the one that Jesus loves. I know it doesn't feel like that all the time, because for some reason, I don't even know why we do it, but it seems like people get this idea in their minds that, that we know that God kind of wants to love us, but he really can't because we, we mess up so many times and, and it's like we take two steps forward because maybe we have a good day finally, but then the next day comes and uh, I'm, from, I'm from Ackworth in Kennesaw, Georgia, which is really, really close to Atlanta. And as a result, when you think of Atlanta, the first thing you thought about was either hot or traffic. And in that traffic, which almost caused me to miss my flight coming to this wonderful church called Northridge, when people cut me off and when people do all that. I'm sure that you, those of you that love the Lord so much, you probably pray for them and you probably pray blessings on them and their family, but that's not my first reaction. When somebody cuts me off, I can go from listening to worship music in my car, praying, talking to Jesus, and in an instant, I can turn into Satan's brother and I can go nuts. And then when I do, I, I sit back and I'm like, where did that even come from? And sometimes it's not even what I do that scares me. Have you ever had a thought come into your mind and your thought was so messed up that it actually scared you a little bit? You're like, I literally thought about how I could murder that person, get away with it, and where I would dispose of the body while I was listening to a worship song and praying for my time at Northridge. And then it happened six times between my house and the airport. And I swear to you, I'm not just giving you an illustration. This is real life, y'all. See, in the South, we can say y'all. It's a real word. You can look it up in the dictionary. It's there, y'all. You know what I realized for me, the cure for my insecurity is knowing my true identity. 
The cure for my insecurity is knowing my true identity. I struggle with insecurity just like every single one of you. I struggle with it all the time. I, right before I walk out onto stage every single week, whether it's here at Northridge or it's at Freedom Church, where I get the honor and privilege of being the pastor week in, week out. Every time I walk on stage, I, I think, what if the message doesn't go well? What if people don't connect? What if, what if it's not good? What if lives aren't changed? What if, what if, what if? What if my clothes don't match? You know, I think about, I think, because I'm really, really colorblind. So, so what if this? What if that? What if they don't laugh when they're supposed to laugh? What if, I just, I think about all this stuff all the time. What if I don't have what it takes as a dad? What if I don't have what it takes as a husband? What if I don't have what it takes as a leader? What if, what if this is all there is and there's really nothing more because maybe I've already reached my capacity at 37 years old? What happens now? This is the, the stuff that goes through my mind and I constantly, I constantly struggle with this, but what would happen if, like John, I could legitimately say, my name is J.R., the one that Jesus loved. And it wouldn't matter, it wouldn't matter what anybody else thought about me. Did you know whether this message is amazing or is the worst message that you have literally ever heard in your entire life? When I walk away from here, I'm still the one that Jesus loved? Whenever you're in a meeting and you're wondering how it's gonna go, maybe it's a hard conversation and you're afraid that the other person isn't gonna like you anymore, whether they do or they don't, you're the one that Jesus loved? I mean, I need, to, I need to illustrate this, and I think you'll be perfect. Can you, can you come up here? Yeah, you, right here. Can you come up here on stage? Y'all should have seen his face whenever I said, uh, can you come up here on stage? Uh, this is gonna be great. You look like you don't come on stage that much, because whenever I said that, you got scared. <laughs> you got scared. That's perfect. All right. Man, it's good to have you. What's your name? Rick. Rick. This is Rick. Give Rick a hand. All right, Rick, I'm gonna go sit down and you're gonna preach the rest of this message. Is that good? No, okay. Would that make you like really insecure? Yeah. Do you ever, do you ever struggle with insecurity? Sometimes. Sometimes? It's good. Do you ever mess up? Yes. Do you ever make mistakes? Yes. Do you, have you ever looked, this is what I do. I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I look in the mirror and when I look in the mirror, I don't really like what I see. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about the physical side. Sometimes that happens also. But sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm like, it's almost like I'm looking into my own soul and I know that I've still got so far to go and I wish that I had already attained it. And as a result, I don't like what I see. Have you ever done that before? Yes. A lot? So your name is Rick. Yes. What if instead of seeing yourself according to your failures and this stuff that we just talked about, just your normal day-to-day -day insecurity, what if you were to see yourself as the one that Jesus loves every single day when you woke up? Every day in the morning, my name is Rick, the one that Jesus loved. Matter of fact, I want you to say, I'm gonna say my name is, you say your name, which is Rick, and then immediately say the one that Jesus loved. Can you do that? Yes. My name is? My name is Rick, the one that Jesus loves. That's good. Give him a hand. Thank you. I want every one of you at all of our campuses to pull out your phone. Pull out your phone. I know you have it. Pull out your phone. Those of you that your life got threatened by your parents and they said, if you pull out your phone during church, then you're gonna be grounded for 31 years. Um, I'm gonna override parental authority for just about 30 seconds. I want you to pull out your phones. I want, and I don't wanna see any flip phones right now. I wanna see a real phone. 
Y'all remember Saved by the Bell, the Zach Morris phone, that big old thing? Those were awesome. I remember when my dad got one, I thought we were like, we were, we were amazing. Uh, but nonetheless, pull out your phone, open the camera app. Open the camera app. You can do it, you can do it. I know you've never done this in church before. I want you to do it, it's okay. Lightning is not gonna strike. Jesus is still gonna love you because you're the one that Jesus loves. I want you to open the camera app and I want you to make it so that you can take a selfie. For those of you that don't know what a selfie is, make the camera point your face and take a picture of your face. That's a selfie. You are taking a picture of yourself. That's a selfie. I want you to take a selfie right now. Everybody here, thousands of people, I want you to take a selfie right now. You got it? You got it? Everybody doing it? You can even make it a ussy. Put another person in there with you if you want to. Take a selfie. And then I want you to put your phone away so that you don't play any games while I'm talking. <laughs> Here's what I want you to do sometime today and I'm gonna watch because I'll be able to see it. I really will. I want you sometime today to post that picture or if you don't like it and you're insecure, take your most favorite picture that you have. <laughs> the best picture you've ever taken in your life with the greatest filter. And I want you to post it on your social networking platform of choice. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, MySpace, whatever it is you wanna do. And I want you to post that picture and I want you to do this. This is all I want you to do. So you just gotta remember it. My name is, and then you fill in the blank, the one that Jesus loves. And then I want you to put, this is how I know you'll do it. This is how I will know if you did do it. I want you to put hashtag, some of you don't know what a hashtag is. You, you always uh, called it the pound sign on your phone. <laughs> hashtag pound Northridge Church, no spaces, okay? My name is blank, the one that Jesus loves. Now, let me tell you the reason I want you to do it. I want you and I want that to serve as a reminder every single day that that's who you are. You are not who society says you are. You're not who your family says you are. You are not even who you say you are. You are who Jesus says that you are. And what that means is this. For many people that are in my church, I preached this message I think three weeks ago at our church. I had people not only posting that picture but they wrote it on their mirror at their house. My name is blank, the one that Jesus loves. And the reason they did it is because they needed a reminder every single day. That's on every single mirror in my house and all the bedrooms, in the, or actually the bathrooms of myself and my wife and my three kids. It's on all their mirrors because that's what I want them to remember. Jesus loves you because he loves you, not because of the day that you had just had. He doesn't love you according to the week that you had. He doesn't, he doesn't love you more because you were in church today. He just loves you. And I want every single person to know that you are the one that Jesus loves. Just like John wrote this thing so eloquently, he says, I am the one that Jesus loves. He wrote it over and over and over again. And we're doing this series right now called Unforgettable and the Unforgettable Truth That Can Change Your Life. The fact that you are loved by God, and not only are you loved by God, but he, this is, this is the part that blew my mind. I'll be honest. I used to know that God loved me, but it was because I felt like 
I felt like he loved me because he was under contractual obligation. You know what I realized? I realized that not only does God love me, but he also likes me. When God sees me because I'm a follower of Jesus and he's changed my life and I've begun a relationship with him, when God sees me, he doesn't see me according to the worst day that I've ever had. He sees me according to the best day that Jesus ever had. He sees me according to what Jesus did for me, not according to what I can do for Jesus. I was watching the NBA um, combine a couple, I guess it was a couple of months ago now. And that's where a lot of the college kids, they go in. College kids or kids from overseas who have NBA hopes and dreams come in and they, they literally measure everything about them. They measure their height. They measure, they measure their wingspan. They measure their jumping ability, their speed. I mean, they measure everything. There's coaches and scouts gathered around taking notes on every single player. And those players know that if things go well, that will improve their draft stock. If things don't go well, they're gonna, they're gonna fall further in the draft and that's gonna cost them a substantial amount of money. While I was watching it, this doesn't happen all the time. I know I'm a pastor, but I don't sit around watching TV shows and have these epiphanies from the Lord all the time. But while I was watching the NBA Combine, this is the thought that I had. Jesus knows my scouting report and he still chose me. He knows, he knows your scouting report and he still chose you. He still loves you. He still came to this earth and lived a perfect sinless life for you. He came and he died on the cross and was sacrificed for, for our shortcomings, our failures and our sin. He did that for you. He did that for me because he chose to love you. From the beginning of time, he loved you. There is nothing you could do to make God love you more and there's nothing you could ever do to cause God to love you any less because you are the one that Jesus loves. In 1 John, another you know, book creatively titled by this guy named John, 1 John chapter 4, verse seven through 10 says this. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. This is the key. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And when I read that, the, un the unforgettable message that I wanna bring to you is the same unforgettable message that I have to choose to believe every single day. And that is that I do not have to remain imprisoned to what I think I ought to look like, to what I think I ought to act like, to what I wish I had done and hadn't done. I'm the one that Jesus loves. Nothing can take that away from me. Nothing can take that away from you. But did you know that you're not necessarily changed by the truth you hear? You're changed by the truth you apply. That's why I want you to post that picture. I want it to be an encouragement, not only to you, but I want it to be an encouragement to every single person who follows you. Because the people that you're friends with and the people that you consider to be family, 
They're struggling with insecurity just like you. They're struggling with doubt and they're struggling with whether or not God is pleased with them just like you are. Can I tell you something that changed my life right along these lines? The fact that Jesus loved me is amazing. The fact that he likes me is amazing. The fact that God doesn't see me according to what I've done, he sees me according to what Jesus did is unforgettable in my life. But there's days I forget it. I just want you to know you're not gonna hear this one message on this one day at Northridge Church, or maybe you're watching this online a few days later, you're not gonna hear this message one time and be able to walk away changed forever. You've gotta hear this message one time and then you've gotta apply it on Monday and then on Tuesday and then on Wednesday and then on Thursday and then on Friday and then on Saturday and then you gotta start all over and then on Sunday and then on Monday and then on Tuesday and then on Wednesday because you are the one that Jesus loves. Wouldn't it be amazing if we sent thousands of people out back into our communities? We say at Northridge that our desire is to wake the world up to Jesus. Can I tell you how to wake the world up to Jesus? Is to be able to be free so that we can have these conversations, so that we can share what it is that Jesus has done in our life, so that we can go out there and be an encouragement and let people know you can be set free from the prison of insecurity once and for all if you know your true identity in Christ. I mean, it would be unforgettable even for this community that we live in. So my prayer for you has been the same thing that I've prayed for myself so many times is that you know that Jesus came to set you free, that you would know for once and for all, and then every day thereafter that you are loved by God. You are the one that Jesus loves. Maybe for some of you, that's the reminder that you needed. You've already entered into a relationship with God through the person of Jesus. For me, that happened on April the 11th of 1996. As a 16-year-old kid, I put my trust in Jesus for the very first time. And ever since then, I've been a work in progress. But maybe, maybe for you, you've never entered into a relationship with God. Maybe you've never had your sin forgiven. Maybe you don't know that Maybe you don't know that heaven is your home and you don't, you don't know necessarily that, that Jesus has forgiven you of your sin and he's changed you from the inside out. You, you can't go back. I'm not here to tell you that. You can't go back, but you can start over. That's what Jesus came to help you do, was to restore a relationship between you and God. And that can happen right here, right now. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray a prayer and it's not a magical prayer. There is no such thing. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna basically say some words that's gonna allow you, in your own words, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And as a result, he said, if you'll do that, you'll be forgiven, changed, saved forever. All things will become new in your life. And maybe that's your deal today is your greatest need is not to remember this moving forward. Maybe you, maybe you need to embrace it for the very first time. You are the one that Jesus loved with your heads bowed and eyes closed at all of our campuses today. If you desire to put your trust in Jesus for the first time, I'd, I'd really be honored if you'd pray this prayer with me. Just pray it in your own heart. Say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that Jesus came to this earth to live and to die and to be risen from the dead so that I could be forgiven. Lord, I pray that you would change me right now and help me to become the person you created me to be. Thank you for loving me long before I ever even knew to love you. 
Lord, thank you for changing me today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me for the first time, one of the things I would love for you to do, uh, everybody got one of these connection cards whenever you came into one of our campuses today, and I'd love for you to fill out a little bit of information there, and then down at the bottom, there is a little circle, and it says, today I prayed to receive Jesus in my life for the first time. Would you do me a huge favor and mark that little box circle deal thing and then rip it off and then on your way out of one of our live campuses, just put it in the box that's back there by the doors. That would, that would help us out substantially. Those of you that are watching online, if you can just click the what's next tab, that would be, that would be phenomenal as well. And for those of you, maybe some of you are transplants from the South. Let me give you a little bit of encouragement. Just because you fill this thing out and turn it in, we're not going to show up at your house on Tuesday with 37 people in a pound cake. That's, that's the way it works sometimes down in the South, but up here in the North, we don't do such weird stuff as this. Uh, so uh, go ahead and turn that thing in. Don't worry. We're not going to, we're not going to to show up with a small army and everything else, but it would be really, really great if you would turn that thing in for us. Also, if you'd like to pray today, uh, after the service is over in just about 35 seconds, you can come down here to the front. Our prayer team will be here. They would love to talk with you for just a moment. But other than that, thank y'all so much for letting me come back. I hope that you guys had an incredible day. And... Um, I want you to know what I said is what I mean. I love this church. I love you. I hope you have an incredible week. You are the ones that Jesus loves. See y'all next Sunday. Sacramento.